Tonight, we're addressing the topic fight or flight. I know I said I'm not talking about mental health. We aren't. Uh, You'll see what we're talking about in a moment. And then tomorrow morning, we're going to address the topic of discipleship. I'm super stoked for that. If you were not planning on coming tomorrow morning, I'm just warning you, it could be a mistake. Because uh, I'm really stoked about tomorrow, and I hope that will be a blessing to you. Then tomorrow afternoon, we're going to talk about the topic of small groups and uh, the powerful and important um, missional plan God has through small groups. So that's kind of our trajectory for the weekend. Um, I'd like to start with a word of prayer, not that Luke's wasn't good enough. His accent is way better than mine. His grammar is probably better too. But uh, yeah, anyway, I'd like to pray and then we'll jump in. God, thank you for just the blessing to be in Southern California, for the blessing of uh, cooler weather and moisture in the air. What a blessing and uh, just wonderful things to do. So I pray that you would bless us as we study and reflect upon Scripture tonight. And I pray that you would put seeds in our hearts and in our minds uh, that would lead us to be more intentional in evangelism through what we've learned this weekend. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I have a question for you. Is it okay if we do a Bible study this evening? Is that allowed? Do you guys allow for that at Advent Hope? Uh, in the last 20 years, have you ever had people give a Bible study at any point in time? Yeah, like that's all you guys do. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, we're going to have a Bible study tonight. If you would have said no, I would have done it anyway, just to, it's, it's, just, it's just kind of important to me. So fight or flight. The, huh? Huh? Uh, there we go. Okay. The fight or flight response is the response of the body to a perceived threat. When faced with danger, the body releases hormones such as adrenaline and cortisol. These hormones give us a burst of energy and strengthen by or, and strength by increasing the heart rate, slowing the digestion, and directing blood to major muscle groups. Although the response is helpful in the cases of a physical threat, you know, like needing to run away from a bear and stuff, uh, it's inappropriate and maladaptive when it occurs in social or performance situations, public speaking uh, being one of them. (laughs) Yeah, I've been doing this for years. It still makes you kind of, as an introvert. Anyway, it's inappropriate and maladaptive when it occurs in social or performance situations, as as is the case with social anxiety disorder. Now, why did I say that? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, there's a map that God has to prepare his people for those times of perceived threat. Okay, we're going to be looking at this study this evening and addressing the topic again of fight or flight, how we respond to certain situations, and what God wants to do to set us up for success. So go to Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm just going to summarize for time's sake... uh, because, uh, yeah, I want to make sure I do my best. So I know we started later. So in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, and the armor of God, it's fascinating to me when you look at what items are listed and what type of role that they serve. So you've got the waist of truth, right? Um, or the belt of truth. You gird your waist with the belt of truth, not the waist with truth. What on earth? Who made these slides? Anyway, that's a defensive item. Uh, The breastplate of righteousness, right? Something to kind of protect you, uh, defensive item. Your feet with the gospel of peace, defensive item. Shield of faith, help to defend yourself, right? And the helmet of salvation, it protects you from bad things that could happen to your head and stuff. But the the thing I noticed when I was studying this some years ago was that there's actually only one real offensive tool listed in the entire armor of God. Have you ever thought about that? It's fascinating to me that you have all these items, and the reason why it's fascinating is because... If we don't learn how to use this one offensive item to defend ourselves, we're basically going to spend our entire Christian experience running from the enemy instead of standing, as Paul commands us in the text, just trying to survive, right? Uh, We can read this real quick, actually. Um, Ephesians 6, 14 to 17. It's very interesting what Paul says, and maybe you'll see it now as we kind of read through this. Just fascinating to me. Ephesians chapter 6 and ah, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, he says, not just some of it, all of it, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We live in the midst of a great controversy, right? That's the point that's being made, okay? Therefore, because of that, take up how much of the armor of God? The whole armor of God, and why is that? So you can maybe be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to 
stand, what should you do? Stand, therefore. Then he, sa- he lists the items here uh, of the armor of God. So it's interesting to me, he keeps kind of giving us this charge to stand, 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 stand. But if you were to find yourself in a situation where you only had defensive items and knew how to use defensive items, you really have no way to, you're going to spend your time not standing and defending yourself, but just running and surviving. Are you understanding what we're, where we're going here this evening? And this could be really troublesome. Like, yeah, you may keep from dying and stuff, but you're really not thriving in the Christian experience and you're really not advancing the great controversy. And I think it's an important point for us to reflect on. So hence the title for this evening's message, Fight or Flight. Right? Some of us may feel like that's our experience today, that we, we don't really know how to defend ourselves or, or properly equip ourselves to succeed in this battle, right? Like we just kind of are surviving our Christian experience. I don't think that's what God wants for us. We're told this in the book, God's Amazing Grace, that the first Adam fell and the second Adam, Jesus, held fast to God and his word under the most trying circumstances. And his faith in his Father's goodness, mercy, and love did not waver for one moment. It is written was his weapon of resistance, and it is the sword of the Spirit which every human being is to use." So it's kind of important then, isn't it, for us to understand how to use the sword of the Spirit. They continue, let the youth or the young adults, right, y'all in this age demographic, let them try to appreciate the privilege that may be theirs to be directed by the unerring wisdom of God. Did you know that it is your privilege to be guided and directed by the unerring wisdom of God? Whoa. Let them take the word of truth as the man of their counsel and become skillful in the use of the sword of the Spirit. Satan is a wise general, but the humble, devoted soldier of Jesus Christ may overcome him. Amen? But the way that we're going to defend ourselves is by becoming wise in the use of the sword of the Spirit. Martin Luther said it this way, that one little word from this word shall fell him the devil. Okay? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Man, you can do some wicked damage with that thing, huh? Right? It's a, it's a super dangerous thing. And typically here in the West and in America, right, when there's something that's capable of causing a lot of damage... You know, a lot of times they'll require you to go through some form of training beforehand, right? You can't just get behind a vehicle without learning how to actually do it properly or driving a forklift or certain types of firearms and so forth, right? They want you to go through some form of training to ensure that you know how to use this thing properly because it's capable of harming people if not used the right way, right? Or capable of causing, you know, difficulties, if you will. Now, I find that interesting. Not that the Bible can really cause difficulties, but have you ever seen somebody improperly handle the Word of God and weaponize it in their conversations with someone else. You ever seen that before, right? It's kind of frustrating, isn't it? And it can lead people to not want to have anything to do with God because of how they do that. But I find this idea of needing training, right, before using something of this magnitude, something of this, uh, that's this powerful. Uh, As we read our next text, go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, what happens there? Does anybody know? 1 Samuel chapter 17. Yeah, David and Goliath. You ever heard that story before? Tempted to sing the little children's song, and round and round and round and... Uh, I won't. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 17. So kind of the context, right? David gets to... Uh, his dad basically sends him to go check on his brothers at the battlefield as he shows up. Imagine, right? You got these two battle lines and generally, you know, it's this army versus this army. They engage. There's these rules of engagement. They're doing it different this time. Instead of the whole army versus the whole army, Goliath walks out and says, hey, I got an idea. If anybody can beat me in battle, all of us will serve you. But if you don't beat me in battle, then you're going to be our servants, Well, I mean, it doesn't sound like a terrible proposition, maybe, except for the fact that the dude is huge, right? Super tall. His spear is like the size of a Volkswagen. I don't know. It's massive. It's just big and dangerous, and he's scary. Probably has a big, gnarly beard and big muscles and stuff. And so what do you do in this situation? Like, who really wants to go to war with that guy by themselves 
at any point in time, let alone the fact, oh, by the way, and if you lose to this big dude, like, we all lose and it's all your fault. Yeah, I'll sign up for that. No problem, right? No, probably not, okay? And so no one's willing to fight him, right? Basically, all of, of the people in, the, in the, the camp of Israel are basically choosing the flight option, not the fight option, right? Like, yeah, not so much. Somebody, yeah. So every day this guy is blaspheming the God of heaven, he's mocking people, and nothing happens. So David rolls up, and he's like, uh, what's, what is this? Why is no one doing anything about this? And what's going to happen? Well, you know, if someone beats him, Saul's going to give him this and give him that. It's like, well, I mean, I can do this. And his brothers get all, you know, frustrated and jealous. Like, I know why you're here. You're just here trying to get attention, blah, 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 blah. And so it's kind of this, not the, the most encouraging scenario for David to go into battle, right? His brothers are speaking unbelief into him. This raging giant is out here causing problems. What do you do? Okay. So Saul tries to talk him out of it. Okay, word gets to Saul that David's like, hey, I, I can take care of this. He's like, ah, uh, I don't know about this. Go to verse 31. Okay, verse 31. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. And why is that? This is an open book quiz, by the way. You can like totally cheat and use it. I don't know what your teachers do to you here, but I'm, I'm okay with it. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 31. Start again. 1 Samuel 17, verse 31 says, Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Verse 32, Then David said to Saul, uh, sorry, verse 33, he says, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. Why? For you're a youth. The reason why you can't engage in battles is because you're not old. Right? You're not old like us. You're not seasoned like us. So the implication here, the kind of the, the mindset is basically that youth equals inexperience and weakness. Now, I don't know about you, but as a young person, this kind of, well, can I, sorry, I had this like existential crisis. I turned 36. Am I a young person still? What am I? I'm not old. I'm not middle-aged. I'm still young? Okay, thank you. He can stay. So, yeah, so anyway, like, as a young adult, like, isn't that kind of offensive? That you're basically inexperienced, you're weak, you can't really be trusted with big responsibilities. Don't you hate being told stuff like that? Am I the only person that feels this way? Are you all holograms? Are you real? Okay, yeah, it's just frustrating to hear this. This is his mindset, okay? That's verse 33. Uh, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and I struck it. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck it and killed it. Can you imagine? This guy literally would punch a bear or a lion in the face. That's like the epitome of manness, isn't it? That's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I accidentally said the wrong word. Epitome, not epitome. I don't know what an epitome is. Uh, anyway, so he... He like beats this thing, hits it in the mouth and so forth. Verse 36, your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he's defied the armies of Israel. And the response of Saul is basically, uh, well, uh, I mean, go and the Lord be with you, I hope. <laughs> Can you imagine? So this is verse 37 and we'll go to verse 39. Or verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with a coat of mail. Well, if you're going to go into battle like a big boy, then like I got to give you all this stuff because this is the way in which we engage in battle, okay? And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. The Andrew Study Bible comments on this and says that David has never fought with arms in a battle. Can you imagine? This guy's out there like street fighting with a stick, rocks, and his bare hands against like crazy carnivores. He doesn't know how to use a sword. We're talking about using the sword of the spirit and needing training and so forth. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's going into battle against a raging giant and he doesn't know what he's doing. This could get really ugly potentially, right? This is why Saul's like, yeah, the Lord be with you. <laughs> Lord, just make it quick. I don't want to watch this kid suffer, okay? The thing about David, though, is he did know how to call on the Lord in his time of need, and this pays huge dividends. Go to verse 40, okay? Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose, well, so they, they start trash talking back and forth. We can rewind just a little bit. Uh, verse 38, 
40. Yeah, he took his, his staff in his hand, chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Imagine being Goliath. This like stripling young kid walks up to him and like, this, this is the best you have to offer of all of your armor, all of your army. This is the best you have to offer. So when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. And then it says why. Why does he disdain him, according to the text? He's only a youth. Saul says he's young and inexperienced. Who cares? He can't get anything done. And now the Philistine's saying the same thing. I do not believe that. I do not believe that young people are incapable of making big advances for the kingdom of heaven in this great controversy. I've invested my life in training young people and equipping young people and laboring for young people to do this type of work. But that's what he thought, okay? So he said he despises them because he's but a youth and he's good looking. He hates him because he's good looking too. He can't fight. Good looking people can't fight, apparently. Verse 43, so the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David says, yeah, I can trash talk too. Check this out. You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you, take your head from you, and this day I will give the carcass... Man, this guy's been watching way too much Netflix, right? This day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines, and it just gets gross and stuff. So verse 47, Then all the, assembly of the Lord, uh, all assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battles of the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. Okay, verse 48, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Then he put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine in the head. So the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on the face of the earth. Okay, then in verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, struck the Philistine and killed him. But then it says, there was no sword in the hand of David. That's what I thought. Wow. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine. Whose sword does he take? He takes the Philistine's sword and kills the guy, finishes him off with his own sword, the other guy's sword. Drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut his head off with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, what happened? They fled. Fight or flight, right? David chooses fight. The Philistines chose flight. And from this point forward, David always used a sword in battle because he now had experience with one. As he put himself out there for the Lord, God provided him what was needed. And from this stage forward, he never went to battle without a sword. He knew it was important. Again, we're talking about this great controversy. God has given us the armor of God. I'm so thankful that we do have ways to protect ourselves defensively, but he doesn't just want your experience to be one of running from the bad guys and just kind of surviving the whole thing. He wants you to stand, as it says in the text, and to fight back. Amen? Not just get beat up all the time in your Christian experience. How can you fight back, grab hold of that dang sword, and do something for Jesus? Amen? And getting training certainly helps. So it's interesting because it says in Psalm, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 7 that the word gets around that Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Right? David's gaining notoriety and being a champion and a giant in battle. Okay? So God intends for his people to be well-equipped to use the sword of the Spirit, not only to defend themselves, but also to advance God's kingdom. Right? He needs you and wants you to be... Um, one of his main soldiers in this regard. But what do you do when you have a whole group of people or a whole army without swords? What do you do if that happens? It's actually in the Bible. Go to 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13, and beginning in verse 19. Okay, Saul and Jonathan, right, uh, are you know, the kind of the leaders of Israel at this stage. And we can begin in verse 16. Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Then the raiders, uh, we'll skip down now to verse 19. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. So the enemies of Israel knew the danger that they would face if these guys have swords. 
So we'll keep them from having swords. No blacksmiths. No one to equip them to have swords to use in battle. Okay? Lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would go down to all the, uh, the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for sharpening was whatever they charged. Verse 22. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. Now, I think this is kind of like scary to some degree, right? First of all, the enemy doesn't want you to be equipped with a sword. That's the point. It's a big point. And second of all, what you do have is a situation in which the leaders of Israel do have access to them, but no one else does, right? And so I think it's important for us to prioritize equipping our young people for battle because how can we expect them to fight for the kingdom if they can't even survive their own daily battles because of a lack of a training in or a knowledge of the word of God? Right? We need to set them up for success, not to be in this situation where there's no one to help them, no one to set them up for success. Okay? So only Saul and Jonathan had swords, and, um, which I think is also kind of sad, but we'll come back to that here in just a moment. Okay? So it says in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Right? It's dangerous for our people to not have this. And so this is actually one of the reasons why we run the school that we have in Pennsylvania called CORE to equip people like you, to set up and equip people like you to know how to use this sword of the Spirit to defend yourself, yes, but also to be able to advance God's kingdom in this world. There are so many people today who do not know the precious truths that we've come to know, who God really is, His plan for your life, the beautiful picture of the gospel and God's true character of love. This is something the world has to see. They have to have access to. And what's so unfortunate is that many people today are attending churches where this is the scenario. None of the lay people really know how to defend themselves or advance God's kingdom. And the only people who do really have access to swords in any form of training are the pastors and maybe a Bible worker if you're lucky. I don't think that's God's will for the Seventh-day Adventist church. I don't believe that. Okay. In fact, we're giving some more information on this. So I'll use a quote here in just a moment. But in the book Education, we're told on page 271 that there is no line of work in which it is possible for the youth to receive greater benefit, right, than in, in engaging in ministry. All who engage in ministry are God's helping hand. They are co-workers with the angels. Rather, listen to this, they are the human agencies through whom angels accomplish their mission. That we are the instrumentalities that God is, that the angels are using actually to reach humanity. Isn't this amazing? Angels speak through their voices and work by their hands. And the human workers, cooperating with heavenly agencies, had the benefit of their education and experience. As a means of education, what university course can equal this? And I'm not throwing shade at Loma Linda University, by the way. But imagine, like, this is, this is amazing, isn't it? to have the privilege to do this line of work and to make this type of a difference. Then you hear the part that we've heard in this quote, I'm sure a million times. With such an army of workers as our youth, rightly trained might furnish how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world, and how soon might the end come, the end of suffering and sorrow and sin. So there's clearly a call that's been given to us to set up training institutions to equip our young people for battle in advancing God's kingdom so they can be those uh, co-workers with the angels in ministering to broken and fallen humanity. You know what those pl- these institutions were meant to be initially? Ministry of Healing 149, every church should be a training school for Christian workers. Core, AFCO, Arise, Salt, Souls West, none of these schools were ever supposed to exist because our local congregations were meant to be the place where our members would learn how to sharpen their swords and use them to advance the kingdom of heaven and to do God's work on this earth. The reason why our schools exist is to fill in a gap that currently is not being filled by local churches. Now, there are some churches that have great missional pastors and are training people to do that, but it's not the norm, unfortunately. I wish CORE didn't have to exist. When I went to Arise, the administrator Arise told me that. We wish we didn't have to exist. But we, these programs were developed to fill in a void that the current churches aren't filling yet. 
Here's the good news. When you come to a training program like ours, you now have the skill set and the tools to go back to your local church and you can train your members. Amen? That's the idea, right? That's why we do what we do. So in verse 22, it says again that there was neither sword nor spear in the hand of any of the people, but with Saul and Jonathan. And again, this is what too many of our churches look like today. The pastor and the Bible worker are out there getting it done in the front lines. Well, the members don't have what they need to engage in this fight. That has to change, guys. If we're to see Jesus come in our lifetime, it's not going to be because of the pastors are doing that work by themselves. It's not possible. It just isn't. Pastors are going to need help in doing this work, and that's where you and I come into play, okay? Remember, Paul said that we need to put on the whole armor of God or we won't be able to withstand the attacks of the devil. So if you were in this army, an army that's unarmed, and you were facing a huge opposing army that did have swords, how would you be feeling in that moment? It'd be kind of scary. All you have are farm implements to defend yourselves. Can you imagine? I would choose flight. The amazing thing is, not amazing. The unfortunate thing is many of the Israelites did just that. Twice in 1 Samuel chapter 14, it stated that the people of Israel were hiding in caves. And the, the heartbreaking thing is the enemies of God also knew that they were hiding in caves. It wasn't just like, I'll go run and hide and hope nobody, like literally the enemies of God are saying, oh, they've come out of the holes that they've been hiding in. Okay. They knew about it. So maybe you're a young person who feels like you're the only person in your class, right? The only person in your department or your your area of specialty who's willing to fight God's battles and you don't think you can make any difference by yourself. And so you've been discouraged from doing anything because I'm the only one who wants to stand for God. Look at what God can do through just one person in a situation like that. 1 Samuel chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to walk through this narrative. Now, it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was his armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that's on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is a migron. Okay? The people who were with him were about 600 men, Ahijah and different names. Okay? They were wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. So as they go, between the passes, verse 4, near the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on either side. And in verse 5, the, the, verse 6, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to this garrison of these uncircumcised, and it may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Can you imagine the audacity of this dude? A huge army, and I, yeah, I got one guy with me. Yeah, let's just, let's just go. Why are we sitting here doing nothing? I'll do something. And so he goes. And his armor bearer says, uh, do all that is in your heart, verse 7. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. So notice, because Jonathan is strong and bold and willing, someone else is strong and bold and willing. And it may be you're the only person who's trying to make a difference for Jesus in your respective areas, whatever it is, your department, your area specialty, your church, whatever. And you're just thinking like, uh, but if somebody has the boldness to go, people will follow. Are you seeing that? Right now, it's just one person, but it'll grow. Verse 8, and so very well, then let us cross over to these men and we'll show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait till we come to you, then we'll stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hand and this will be a sign to us. So they go and it says in verse 11, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. The cowardice of the people of God is known to the enemies of God. It's very sad, isn't it? So so they've come out of the hole that they've been hiding in. Verse 12, Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. So he climbs up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and he came after him. His armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter which Jonathan, his armor bearer, made was about 20 men within about half of an acre of land. Then there was trembling in the camp and the field among all the people. The garrison of the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. Just imagine, Saul's men are here in the low land. Jonathan and his armor bearer go to the high land, and when they look up, there's like dust stirring, and people are screaming, and like, what on earth is going on up there? Okay? So they continue. 
Uh, picking back up in the text, verse 17, he says, Call the people who were with him. Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul, verse 18, said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. And in verse 19, when Saul talked to the priests, the noise which is in the camp of the Philistines continues to increase. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. It's getting noisier, it's getting worse. Whatever is going on, it's getting, getting busy up there. Okay, so verse 20, then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled and they went to the battle and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor and there was very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines did what? fled. They also followed hard after them in the battle, verse 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. Isn't this an amazing narrative? This is one of my favorite like stories in Scripture, that you get to this situation where one guy has the guts to do something, to stand up for God and to advance his kingdom with the sword that he has, even if nobody goes with him. Against an entire armed army, he chooses to go forward. And what happens? God fights for them. And as people see that God fights with this one person who's willing to stand, what do the rest of the Israelites do? They show up. Some of us are thinking, you know, well, if other people decide to go, then I'll go. You may be missing a blessing. Maybe God needs you to go if nobody goes. And this will be what inspires other people to join the battle. Are you noticing that? Sometimes like, man, like knocking on doors is like mad scary. I don't think I can do that. But if other people go, then I'll go. Maybe God's calling you to go, right? Maybe it doesn't have to be knocking on doors. It can just be talking to your coworkers about Jesus. It could be praying for people, whatever it may be. Whatever God is calling you to do to advance his kingdom, don't wait for other people to do something if God's calling you to do something. Are you with me today, guys? God can use one person and make a dramatic difference as long as they're willing, okay? So Jonathan chose fight, the Philistines chose flight. When he took that step of faith and went alone, if no one else would join him, God fought for him. And when others saw what God did and how he provided, they decided to join the fight, right? So God needs people to take these risks to advance the battle. Fighting the battles without help can be a very lonely experience, can't it? You ever been there? You're the only person in your church, the only person in your group that's doing any form of outreach, and you're doing, 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 especially if you come from like local, you know, smaller church congregations, you're like the only health ministries leader, the only personal ministries leader, and anytime there's an event, you're the only person running this thing, and it gets discouraging after a while, doesn't it? It gets exhausting, you get burned out, and many times we find ourselves quitting. But when we go out and do God's work, even if no one goes with us and God brings results because God honors those who honor Him, this is what will inspire other people. Man, maybe I can do that too. Hearing your story, knowing, hey, I don't really, like, I'm kind of scared to do stuff like this. Really? But you're so good at it. I, it's hard for me, but I, I just went and God showed up. That's why. Whoa. If they feel that way and God blessed them, maybe, maybe God could use me because I'm scared too. You seeing the power of our story and our willingness to take God at His word and do what He's asked? God stands with you, and people see that. Every ounce of comfort, strength, and integrity that you need for each day, God is more than willing to provide. You're not alone. Jonathan did not climb that mountain by himself, and I'm not talking about his armor bearer. God went with him. Do you see that? And the enemies ended up destroying themselves. remember hearing Dwight Nelson preach many years ago, uh, on a sermon talking about jo uh, Jonathan and, and uh, his armor bearer here. And he was reading this book about this mountain in, uh, I don't know, Switzerland or somewhere in Europe called the White Spider. I have no idea where it is. If you know, uh, great. I can't remember. But anyway, Dwight quotes from this book and he applies it to this narrative. And I absolutely love it. This guy who wrote this book called The White Spider who climbed this mountain says this. He says, I believe no man can be completely able to summon all his strength, all his will, all his energy for the last desperate move till he's convinced that the last bridge is down behind him and there's nowhere to go but on. That the only way someone's really going to dig that deep and push no matter what comes is when they are fully convinced that there is no option for retreat. 
There is no way to go backwards. I can only go forwards. And I'm fully convinced that we find ourselves in that last desperate move in this great controversy. He's talking about climbing mountains, but ours is the closing themes uh, and scenes of this great controversy between Christ and Satan, and we need to be training Jonathans to finish this work. We have to, guys. There are so many people in our movement today who would do something if someone would just take the time to train them, to lead them, and encourage them in doing so. There are so many people who have a heart for God and want to serve God, but there's no one to train them. There's no blacksmiths in Israel. And they don't know what to do. And they don't feel like the little farm implements they have are enough to get the job done. right? So we take that very, very seriously at CORE, and we're inviting you to join us in that fight. If any of you feel a calling to to get training for ministry, we're one of many options, but do something. Please take the time to get the information you need to do that. Now, would you want to find yourself in a situation like David, standing before a giant without knowing how to use a sword? right? If David lost, God's people lost, everything was on the line. Yes, God fought for him in that situation because he was called out to him or because he called out to God and God used what he had in his hand. But David, listen to this, he never went to battle without a sword from that point forward. There is one instance, which is very fascinating to me, there's only one instance where David is without a sword after his battle with Goliath, but he quickly finds one to be able to ensure that he can defend himself. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21 and verses 8 and 9. David and his men are on the run. Saul's trying to kill him. He's jealous about David and the favor that David's being shown, right? That statement that Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Yeah, Saul wasn't too stoked about that one, right? Tries to murder him at the dinner table. Hope that doesn't happen at your house. And in verses 8 and 9 of 1 Samuel chapter 21, listen to what it says. So David goes on the run, he finds one of the priests, he gets to the tent, to, to the, the temple, or to the tabernacle, and, and basically tells the guy, I got a need, man. So David said to Ahimelech, is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I've brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. Right? So he asked the priest, could you give us some food? And he's like, well, I can't really, I can, we don't have a lot to offer, but they just replaced the showbread, so I can give you this if the men have kept themselves from women and so forth. Absolutely no problem. Then he asked for a sword, because I left and don't have one with me. Okay, verse 9, then the priest said, the sword of who? Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there's no other except that one here. What does David say? There's none like it. Give it to me. Isn't this fascinating? The one time in which David is without a sword, when he shows up to the priest, he has one, and it's the first sword he had experience with, the sword of Goliath. Isn't this amazing? David understood it's important to be able to defend myself from the attacks of the enemy. It's very important. And even though he was running for his life from King Saul, God did protect him, but he says, this isn't enough. This isn't just like, you know, not dying is not my objective. My objective is to be able to actually properly defend myself from the enemy. And I think this is a good lesson for us, okay? So um, are we beginning to see the need, right, as a people to gain a knowledge of and experience with the sword of the Spirit? Are you starting to catch on to that this evening? Yeah? We're told this in Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 12, For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. And I love this because this implies two things, that victory is assured behind you at the cross, and it's assured before you at the second coming. Amen? We're surrounded by victory, guys. God has that for us, but he needs people who are willing to actually go forward and do something. And if you don't know what you're doing, please seek out places to sharpen that sword, right? We're not without excuse. We have opportunities. We just need to take advantage of them. So we have two choices on this battlefield, fight like David and Jonathan or flight like the Philistines and the Israelites. What choice are you going to make today? That's the question, yeah? Go with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. We'll begin in verse 1. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. 
Now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, how many of them slumbered and slept? All of them. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of whose oil? Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Okay? And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Okay? Now, this is super, super important, because especially if you've had the privilege, by the way, of growing up in the Seventh-day Adventist church or in a Christian home, and mom and dad are devout Christians, and you went to a strong church at home, and there's strong people around you, hey, that's great. But what we have to come to terms with tonight, guys, is that their oil will do you no good when it matters the most. Are you with me tonight? Great that mom has a devotional life. That's great that dad has a devotional life. It's great that they're praying and that they're faithful Christians. Praise God for that. But when it matters the most, their individual experience can't help you. You're going to have to have your own individual experience, your own oil, your own personal relationship with Jesus, your own understanding and experience with the sword of the Spirit, with the Word of God, and now's the time to start doing something about that. Are you with me tonight, guys? Now's the time. And there are resources, right? There are things, right? You can do a rise online. You can do a rise in person, right? In Australia, we have our program, the core program. There's SALT, there's AFCO, there's all kinds of options. But please, if you don't know what you're doing, take the time to look into it. Take the time to build your own experience and relationship with Jesus, to study, to grow, to learn for yourself. Attend Sabbath school, take notes, study the quarterly, do something, right? Take advantage of the fact that you live in a free country today where you can buy one of these beautiful Bibles, you can open that mug and read it for yourself, amen? And you can study it. And the beautiful thing is, the very Holy Spirit that inspired the writers of the Bible is willing to be your own personal instructor. He's willing to help you understand what you're reading and to grow. There are principles of theology and Bible study that can be really helpful. And there's entities that offer that. But please take advantage of it. Because this is so, so important. And I'm not trying to say this in this like turn or burn sense, but this really does matter. If we actually believe that Jesus is coming soon, but we can't fight our way out of a wet paper bag theologically, that's a problem. It's a problem. We need to be able to have our own experience. Not moms, not dads, not my pastors, right? Not all the hired guns that come in every weekend at Avent Hope. You need to be able to study the Word of God for yourself and be enriched and blessed and enjoy it. How many people, and just by raising of hands, how many people had a season in their life where they recognized, man, this really isn't mine? Like, my religious experience is borrowed from those who've been leading me around me. How many people had a point in their life when they realized, dang, like, I don't really have my own thing? Some of you maybe haven't had that moment yet. Maybe tonight is that moment. Here's the good news. God wants you to have a deep, and abiding relationship with him. He wants that. That's literally his will for your life. He wants to equip you to succeed in your Christian experience. He wants you to be able to stand, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, against the wiles of the devil and to overthrow the attacks of the enemy. God wants that for you. And one of the ways in which you can find that is by taking time to commit to studying for yourself, to seeing whether these things are so. Are you with me tonight, guys? Okay, listen to this. Look up, my brethren. Has the gospel lost its power to impress hearts? Is it because the regenerating influence of the Spirit of Christ has died away that hearts are not purified, sanctified, and prepared for the Holy Spirit? No. The sword of the Spirit, the word of the living God, is with us yet, but what does she say? But it must be wielded with earnestness. Let us use it as did God's sanctified ones of old. By its living, quickening power, it will cut its way to heart. She's quoting Hebrews there. 
The Lord calls for a reformation all through our ranks, and when the church is awakened, and I would add trained, decided changes will be made. Men and women will be converted, and so filled will they be by the Spirit of God that they will pass from country to country, from city to city, proclaiming the message of truth. And with heart filled, hearts filled with earnest love for souls, they will open their Bibles and present the Word. Amen? And this is the promise that she was given, that an army of our youth, our young adults, rightly trained, can do a tremendous work in preparing the world to receive the crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior. Every one of you have that calling. If you're struggling, what is, what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? That's why. The reason why you are here is to know God and to enjoy Him forever and to share that beautiful truth with the people around you. That's why you exist. God loves you. God wants a deeper relationship with you. And you can find that by taking advantage of this for yourself to study, to know Him, to commune with Him. Some of the sweetest and richest experiences of my life have come in those quiet moments in communion and fellowship with Him. And if that's not something that's part of your life today, the good news is it can start today. Amen? We're not saying that if you don't have a devotional life, God hates you, you're a loser, you're wasting your life. And we're not saying that. But we have the privilege we were told this evening, the privilege to know Him, to learn of Him, and to share Him with the people around us. That's a privilege, guys. God could send angels to do this work, but we're told that God actually sends the angels to enlighten and to use human instrumentalities to do this work. You're invited into that precious experience. And when you are involved in a process of bringing someone from no faith to faith, only through the grace of God, but when you're involved in that process of meeting with someone, sharing the truths of Scripture with them, and bringing them to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, it is the most fulfilling and rewarding experience you will ever have in this life. It is amazing. This is what you're made for. This is what God has created you for, to know Him, to enjoy Him, to bask in that beautiful relationship, and to communicate this to someone else around you. Maybe you feel like Jonathan, it's just me. That's enough for God. He can do something with just you. And you may find by taking that step, right, by starting that small group, we'll talk about that tomorrow, by starting that prayer group, by taking that time to take deeper interest in your classmates and ask them, what is it that guides your principles in life? How is your walk with God? You know, I don't really have one. I don't even know how to have one. Hey, maybe you don't know how to have one either. I, I kind of struggle with that too. Let's figure it out together. I, I just heard about this. I want to start studying. I want to start praying. Do you want to you join me in this? This is an opportunity. Some people think I got to have it all figured out before I do something for Jesus to make a difference. If you're familiar with the narrative in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, Jesus changed this lady's life. He reads her like a book. She knows that he knows everything about her and still loves her. And is that an important truth for us to know today? That Jesus knows the depth of your story, the brokenness, the betrayal, the abandonment, the loneliness. He knows the depth of that entire story, and he still loves you. He still, something, still sees something of value in you. John chapter 4 and verse 4 says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. What first century Jew needs to go through Samaria? He had none of them. Samaritans are gross. They have cooties, right? Their noses are shaped the wrong way. They have lots of issues with Samaritans, right? When Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan and he asks at the punchline, who was the true neighbor to his brethren? They say, uh, I don't want to say the S word. He who did whatever for the guy. They couldn't even say it. Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Why? Because he knew there's a woman there who was broken and had many struggles and difficulties in her life, but he still saw value in her. And he loved her. He spoke life into her and changed her life. And guess what happened? She got on a plane, she went to Pennsylvania, she went to CORE, and, and then she went to seminary, and is that how the narrative goes? What did she do? She went back to town and she said, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. 
You don't have to know everything to start this journey, but it certainly is helpful to find the right tools to know where to start, right? When I first became a Seventh-day Adventist, I actually wasn't an Adventist when I went to Arise. I was like nearly an Adventist. And I go to the Arise program, and I feel a sense that God's called me to serve and to help people, but like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm an introvert. I'm scared of being in front of people. That's still true, by the way. This is just a, I don't understand this, but here it is. (laughs) I didn't ask for this calling. It's just here. But I, I was scared to do this. But I went to a place where people gave me the tools to figure out how to do this thing. And I'm so thankful that I committed a chunk of my life, a small span of time in the big scheme of eternity and in the three score and 10 that most of us will end up with. It wasn't that big of a sacrifice to set aside time to get the training. Can God use you if you know nothing? Certainly, apart from the fact that he saved you, of course he can. She won a whole city that way. But if you... if There is an opportunity for you to build a deeper root structure, for you to have a place. Seek out a school of evangelism. Take some online training. Take some classes, right? Join a study group. Go through the Sabbath school quarterly. Read through the Conflict of the Ages series. Start reading through the Bible for yourself. Start somewhere, guys. Your life is going to get better. Your love for God is going to grow deeper and your confidence and courage to share with someone else is going to go up. It just does, okay? So this is what we're striving for in our program, and um, we invite you to prayerfully consider to see if God may be leading you in that direction, and if not, no problem. But I'll just give you a last little spiel about what we do, and then we'll jump into other topics tomorrow. So CORE is a nine-month discipleship and evangelism training program in Pennsylvania. It's for the 18 to 35-ish age range. Uh, It says 30, 35-ish Um, We do have some work-study options to make it available. We teach you how to give personal Bible studies to people, how to walk through that process, okay? How to understand the Adventist beliefs for yourself and how to share them with someone else. Literature evangelism, how to do canvassing and so forth. How to use media and health and agriculture and other things for evangelism. We also have a heavy emphasis on mental health, helping you to better understand your own story and how to see yourself in a healthier fashion, how to see God in a healthier fashion. There are many people in the world today who have... In in the church today, have unhealthy pictures of God and unhealthy pictures of themselves. Unhealthy pictures of themselves. And so we focus on that extensively in our program. We have two week-long intensives, uh, plus we have other things that we teach throughout the program to really give you the tools you need to be able to address the issues of mental health biblically and in a Christ-centered and redemptive fashion right? Super, super helpful, plus practical stuff like how to make good choices in life uh, with time management and critical thinking and um, media choices and all that stuff, relationships, how to do public speaking, right? If you're scared to death of this, as I am and was and still am, um, anyway, we would give you the tools for that. If you can't do that, we have a second semester option called Track 2. It's January through May, and you still get the second semester of core, a majority of our theology classes, and you get five months of Bible work, sharing personal Bible studies. We've had such an amazing year this year. Just finished an evangelistic series, and many of our students have seen at least one person that they studied with make a decision for baptism. Amen? Knocking on doors, meeting people through different events. My students, who many of which had no experience in giving Bible studies, went out, put themselves out there for Jesus, and they had people that they were investing in coming to the evangelistic series and making decisions to give their lives to Jesus and to join His church. What an amazing privilege. They went from knowing nothing and being scared to being soul winners for Christ as young people, just like you. You can have that experience, okay? And uh, we're also going to be offering core intensives where you can actually come to just like one of our our week-long classes. If you want to hear David Ashrick teaching apologetics or Mark Finley teaching how to preach, you can come for just a week uh, and do something like that as well. And then core online will be available uh, sometime this year. So Mark Finley again teaches for preaching, David Ashrick on apologetics, James Rafferty on Daniel, Don McIntosh teaches on health and prophecy, Nathan Renner, um, Public Campus Ministries up in the Michigan Conference, they teach for us, Justin Kim, uh, Rico Hill, Paul Conniff, uh, Katie Elson, Chris Matz, Dale Lehman, I teach classes. So it's a really, really cool opportunity to just spend time investing and in growing your relationship with God. And it's not just a school where you're learning training, right? It's a place, a safe space to grow in community where you can be vulnerable, learn and understand your story and grow together, make lifelong friendships for the kingdom of heaven, and to actually have an experience with Jesus that will change your life 
Our goal is not to be a factory that just produces Bible workers and that's all that you do to just win arguments better than the other guy. That's not our goal as a program. Our goal as a program is for you to have a personal relationship with Jesus that will change your life and how to take that experience and share it with someone else. So you do get a substantive evangelistic training, but you're also finding the tools you need to know Jesus more deeply for yourself individually. How to find that oil for yourself, as we saw in Matthew 25. So that's one of many places. Our website is coreevangelism.com. Our promo videos are there. You can email us if you have any questions um, and all the kind of the layout of what we do, how it works, the cost. It's all on the website. You're happy to see it there. But regardless, if you go to a school or don't go to a school, I happen to run one, I'm a little bit biased, right? But if you, if you don't go to one of these programs, you can still grow your relationship with Jesus, amen? You don't have to go to one to do this. We can give you the tools to help and jumpstart it, but there are many resources, right? Take advantage of them. Study your Sabbath school quarterly. It's a way to study the Bible. Read through the Conflict of the Ages series, Patriarchs and Prophets, Prophets and Kings, Desire of Ages, Acts of the Apostles, The Great Controversy. That series of books is more relevant than it has ever been, and it can radically change your life for the better and just help you to understand how to read through the Bible and understand it, right? It's not to replace the Bible. It's to help to illuminate your Bible study. I'm so thankful for that. And just take the time, right? There, there are small groups that exist in this area. There's other study groups that are happening. Join them, right? Take advantage of that, and I promise you, your life's not going to be the same, guys. To just kind of be skirting through Adventism and just kind of like, I'm here, but I'm not really here, it, there's so much more available to you. Take a step. I don't know what that looks like for you, but take a step. Put yourself out there and, and just join some of these groups, Go with outreach, right? At the doors going out and doing a wonderful work. Eating great controversies into people in San Bernardino. Uh, there's many ministries that are happening locally. If you're scared and don't know what you're doing, just try it. I was scared to death doing this stuff at Arise. And now this is my life. I do it for a living. Okay? God is, is able to work through that. But has this study made sense this evening? Yeah? We, all of us are going to need to have that sort of the Spirit enabling experience. Why not now? We need this now more than ever, and I trust that this word can not only change your life, but the life of those around you. So let's pray. God, I just want to thank you that you have given us opportunities. There are are many resources that exist in the church today to set us up for success in growing our relationship with you personally and learning how to share that truth with people around us in our sphere of influence. And I pray that those of us who are here this evening, that we would have ears to hear uh, and that we would know where your spirit is leading us and guiding us to know how to take that next step. If it's just beginning a simple devotional life of being more intentional and starting our day with prayer and Bible study, Lord, I pray that you would use that to bring great change and revival into their lives. If some of us is to join a study group or start a study group or to start a prayer group or to start an outreach or a ministry, Lord, give us courage, give us strength and guide us as we take those steps I just pray that none here would be in that situation in Matthew chapter 25 where we don't have oil for ourselves. Our parents have it, our pastors have it, the speakers have it, but I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't really know you as I know it's my privilege to know you. God, I pray that we would hear a call from you tonight, a clear and distinct call to come and follow you, to go deeper in our personal experience and to study as we've never studied before, to know you as it is our privilege to know you. Lord, I pray that you would cover our sins with the blood of Jesus. And I just want to make an appeal this evening that if there are people in this room tonight that you're hearing a call from God to take that step in growing your personal relationship with Him and, and being more intentional in devotional life or starting uh, an intercessory prayer life or anything along those lines. He's giving you a specific call, and you just want to say, Jesus, tonight I just want to publicly declare, I want to respond to that. I want to, I want to go where you're leading me. I want to study your word for myself. I want to grow my devotional life. I want to grow in ministry. If that's you, just invite you to raise your hands to heaven tonight, not for me. My eyes aren't even open, but this is for you, Lord, just to declare publicly that we want to go deeper with you and to have that, that uh, enriching experience to take us to the next level. Lord, you've seen the hands, you know our hearts. I pray that you would do something marvelous as a result of these decisions and that we would never be the same as we take that first step tonight. And we ask this now in Jesus' name.
Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.